And what do you do with people that you speak with that tell you, you know, like we can't afford universal health care, we can't afford to address climate change? So that really gets into the heart of my MMT education, because before I encountered all the reading and things that I've done for MMT, uh, I would just argue that the government has the resources and I'd you know, probably make some convoluted argument about taxing the rich. But now it's become clear to me that we can afford it because we are such a powerful currency issuer. Uh, we as America have not just a fiat currency, but a worldwide fiat currency that other countries trade in. So we have the resources necessary to address these things. And it's not a matter of paying for it with dollars but a matter of reallocating the resources we already have in a more equitable way. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about real-world economics, including modern money theory, and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Welcome to Activist MMT Candidate Interview Number 7, hosted by Ramona Masachi and co-hosted by me. Today, Ramona talks with John Swoboda, who is running to represent Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District. John decided to run after moving to the Tulsa area and discovering a lack of progressive policy agenda, but thankfully, also an active and supportive progressive community. As a whole, however, the area is highly conservative. A major challenge for John is communicating ideas he believes strongly without needlessly alienating those who strongly disagree. John's views have only been further validated by MMT, which he specifically and aggressively learned for this interview. He started by reading The Deficit Myth, and then several academic papers, including Warren Mosler and Matt Forstatter's 2005 The Natural Rate of Interest is Zero, Stephanie Kelton's 1998 Hierarchy of Money, Abba Lerner's 1943 Functional Finance and the Federal Debt, and others, as you'll find, linked in the show notes. Ramona and I are quite proud to not only support these candidates, but demand that they be better. We are grateful to John for being so open-minded and enthusiastic. You can support John's candidacy by visiting SwobodaForCongress.com and SwobodaOK on Facebook and Twitter. You'll also find a link to donate to his campaign in the show notes. If you're a candidate and would like to be interviewed by Ramona, please contact her directly on Twitter at Ramona Masachi or me at ActivistMMT at gmail.com. 
If there's a candidate you would like to see interviewed by Ramona, please let us know and please recommend us to them. This candidate interview series is above and beyond Activist MMT's regular episodes. If you like what you hear and would like to support this interview series and this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash activist MMT. And now on to our conversation with candidate for Oklahoma's first congressional district, John Swoboda. Enjoy. Yeah, I think I think the idea of it it is it, this John just from my it's really I could tell Ramona this privately, but it doesn't really matter. Just so you kind of know where we're coming from, mm-hmm. this this uh, interview series, you know, it's it's to support candidates, but the idea of forcing candidates to do better is kind of important. I think. Oh, and, absolutely. And. and and you know, and, and you know, you are, you know, kind of the first example of, of that. And you know, I don't, we don't need to, we don't need to talk too much about that. But just the idea of, you know, how it, how MMT affected you, and how you think that that is, you know, is positive or affects your campaign positively and whatever. I think that particular aspect of it could be very interesting. So, yeah, I agree. Okay, cool. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> hey, John Swoboda. Wait, how do I say it? Uh, my family says Swoboda. Swoboda. But uh, okay. most of the country will say Swoboda. Okay. Hey, John. My, my dad's side of the family says Epstein, and my mom's side of the family says Epstein. I say Epstein. So <laughs> I, I feel you. Go on. Sorry. Um, well, my Very mate- important. Very important for his candidacy. Go ahead. <laughs> Oh, God. So welcome, John Swoboda. You're running in Oklahoma District 1. That's right. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So, John, what made you decide to run for office? Uh, That's a complex answer, uh, but it boils down to the fact that I just couldn't stand there being nothing done in Oklahoma to push progressive agendas. Um, Well, not nothing, but not enough. And I felt like I was capable and ready to lead. So I decided to throw my hat in the ring. Very nice. And have you always lived in Oklahoma? Yep. Born and raised uh, mostly from McAllister, but I moved up here to Tulsa a few years ago. There's a really active uh, political scene here. So a lot of opportunity to volunteer and get involved and get uh, ingratiated in the networks of the politically active. So uh, if I hadn't moved to Tulsa, I probably wouldn't be running. So there is a support system there in Tulsa for progressive policy? Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) We actually have a really robust network of nonprofits. And so there's this whole ecosystem of people – uh, giving and helping and, you know, addressing different systemic issues in, in individual ways. So it's really uplifting. And are these, are these nonprofits endorsing you? Uh, no, not at the moment. A lot of them uh, remain apolitical um, because to endorse a candidate is t- 
to kind of put a target on your back and they'd rather be on the ground doing the work. That makes sense. hundred percent. So that's great. So there's, there's like, you have an active base of volunteers to pull from. Yeah, absolutely. And what are the, the biggest issues that are impacting Oklahoma? Um, there's a lot in the, uh, housing and homelessness crisis. You know, when we when we talk about homelessness and how ho- and unhoused people, we usually think of the big cities like LA and New York having, you know, basically a whole second population of people unhoused, but we we suffer it too. And um like I said there are nonprofits that try to address these things, but it's a systemic failure. So it needs a systemic solution. Um, there's also things like corporate agriculture, which takes over family farms and gets rid of monopolizes, gets rid of small businesses. And we really like to support the main street revitalization that a lot of states have, uh, implemented because we've got a lot of moving to the urban areas of Tulsa and Oklahoma city, which kind of you know, sucks the the life out of the smaller towns. And Oklahoma is um, rife with wonderful small towns that are struggling to maintain their identity. Absolutely, because everybody's buying online now. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, the mom and pop shops just disappear. Exactly. And when you're fighting the big box stores and the Amazons of the world, there's very little that can be done without government intervention. And so so how is the campaign trail going? How are people responding? Um, what does your volunteer base look like? Uh, you know, people respond pretty well. There's The volunteer base is uh, not huge because it's still really early in the cycle. And there will be more after the primary season in June. But for now, it's uh, friends and family, people I've personally met, and a lot of call time. When when you say, how's it going? I, I think of these really productive conversations I've had with people who agree that the government isn't – oh, how do I phrase it? The government isn't – out for our best interests and isn't doing things to uh, materially improve our lives on an individual level. And that's the kind of government I want to help build. So I get a lot of good responses from that. That's yeah. Who, who would say no to that? (laughs) Now they'll disagree on the, the why and the how you get there, but that basic idea is something that you can gain a lot of traction of agreement with. And what do you do with people that you speak with that tell you, you know, like we can't afford universal health care or we can't afford to address climate change? So that really gets into the heart of my MMT education, because before I encountered all the reading and things that I've done for MMT, uh, I would just argue that the government has the resources and I'd you know, probably make some convoluted argument about taxing the rich. But now it's become clear to me that we can afford it because we are such a powerful currency issuer. Uh, We as America have 
not just a fiat currency, but a worldwide fiat currency that other countries trade in. So we have the resources necessary to address these things, and it's not a matter of paying for it with dollars, but a matter of reallocating the resources we already have in a more equitable way. Mm-hmm. That's great, and I, I can't wait until um, you start talking with your constituents about this because it's very eye-opening. What's interesting is I'm talking to people that are in party leadership, You know, people who are in Democratic Party leadership who have heard all the progressive talking points who have never even heard of MMT, and I am sort of – pushing them towards the literature I've read and trying to explain the concepts as succinctly as possible because to look at economics and policymaking through an MMT lens is – it's a complicated path to get there. But once you understand it, it's a simple thing to espouse on. That's wonderful. How brilliant. So you're you're going to people that are already in office that you know on, on the state level. Mhm. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got a few uh Democrats in our state legislatures that live around this area so they go to a lot of the same fundraisers and events that I go to. And so I'm asking them, "Well, have you heard about MMT?" And some of them have, some of them haven't. Some of them are having their initial you know, it's a new thought, can't be trusted kind of reaction. Other people are just genuinely curious and want to know about it. And they're trying to find the time to do the reading. This is literally how you do it. This is how you, this is how you change the world, John. Right? <laughs> Think globally, <laughs> act locally. <laughs> this is brilliant. So, so, so John came on our show and, um, I asked him similar questions and he, he, he hadn't really, he like had heard of MMT, but he hadn't really fully understood it. So Jeff had sent him, um, a good amount of reading and John just went right to it. And, um, I, you know, I'm so impressed <laughs> and well, I'm so you. grateful. <laughs> Can I, I'd like to interject that, 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 uh, the, 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 the you answered that question pretty close to perfect. The only thing that I would the only thing that I would say is that we can reallocate the resources that we already have definitely, but we have the power to, to produce and create and develop and import and invent more. So oh, it's absolutely. not just a matter of reallocating what we already have because we have the capacity to produce more. But otherwise what you said was was especially given how it was what was it a month ago now? Something that like we, that when we first spoke that was like pretty close to a perfect answer. <laughs> well, all right. I gave you, I gave you a lot of reading, not expecting you to read it all. And you read it all. Oh yeah. And you, ha- you came back at me with very, very good questions. So it was great. <laughs> I'm, I'm, ex- I'm always excited to learn something new. And when there's a theory that not only explains the observations we've already made, but makes reasonable predictions that, you can you know look through the historical record and say in 2000 MMT economists predicted this and then 4 years later the thing they predicted happened exactly as they said it would happen then it's like well this is a pretty solid theory i would say <laughs> yeah i i one of the reasons i like MMT is because i took macroeconomics in college 
and it had this explanation of how people should act. Uh, and it, it was based on the assumption that all people are rational actors and do things um, to maximize their earning potential and their savings potential and all these like almost robotic things. Like everybody looks at everything they do through the amount of money they can make. And I was like, well, that's not true. That's just patently false. And MMT doesn't make these individual assumptions about how a person will react. It looks at the phenomena of money and how money and, all- and uh, allocated resources move and just attempts to explain it in a way that makes sense. Give an Perfect. example of how it makes sense. Um, so the – the the big the sort of cornerstone observation that the a federal government works differently from a city government or a business or a person in that it is the currency issuer and how uh, it will spend the money first and then tax it back out of the system second that model uh, which is exactly backwards from how what you might call traditional economists describe it is unintuitive at first because we've been propagandized so much to believe the other system. But then once it clicks, you're like, no, this is actually more intuitive. It makes more sense. Of course the federal government would be able to behave differently because it is the currency issuer. Yep. Now you had a question a moment ago. Oh, oh, me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was waiting for you to ask your question. Oh, I was, well, I was waiting for you. You were waiting for me. Everybody's waiting for everybody. <laughs> okay. How do you communicate this new knowledge to you have a very large amount of very conservative voters? Correct. And they're going to stick with believing the wrong thing. So how do you communicate with these people in such a way that doesn't doesn't make you vulnerable or, you know – jeopardize your relationship with those voters. So anytime we're talking about communication, it's always, it's always a difficult tightrope to walk because especially when you're introducing a new concept, uh, there's a chance of you sounding condescending, you know, Oh, I know something you don't know. What I like to do is take people on a sort of truncated version of the pathway that I've walked to get where I am and say, we, have it wrong. Not you have it wrong, but we have it wrong. As Americans, as um, uh, people, as economic entities, we have been understanding the way things work incorrectly. And there's a better way to understand it. Because most people can tell when they listen to economists make predictions that don't come true, when they watch the bear and bull market have absolutely no effect on their lives and then a year later there's a recession and nobody can explain why uh, they know something's up they know some bit of the system isn't designed to work for them but they don't know what that is so if you can get on the same page of the system is is broken uh, which many people will agree on then you could say here's where the fractures everybody are everybody would agree that yeah, there's very few people who would argue the system is fine and working as intended. <laughs> yeah, there's there's nobody there that. that. 
I'd actually like to just briefly interject my own opinion about that. And that is just the, it is really important to make the distinction between the institution and those at the levers of power in that institution. True. The institution itself is fine. The, the people at the levers of power are awful. And but but we often conflate the two and give up on the institution itself. Right. I I'm not an you know an anarchist who says burn the country down, but I do think we need to replace the people at the levers. Agreed. Who are you running against? Uh, his name is Kevin Hearn. Oh boy. <laughs> and he's um, not as uh, well known as say somebody like Mark Wayne Mullen, who makes a lot of big national public news for basically being really idiotic. Uh, Kevin Hearn is just kind of a lockstep Trumpster who's hasn't introduced much legislation, uh, has done very little to principally improve the lives of anybody in Oklahoma. And I feel is in a fairly weak position. When I interviewed uh, Randy Ray a year ago, mm-hmm. Uh, his testimony in Congress, there was an encounter between him and John Hearn uh, that I probably and maybe I'll uh, Kevin Kevin Hearn Kevin Hearn Kevin Hearn um, uh, an encounter between those two during the testimony. I'll probably I'll probably interject a, a brief snippet of that here. Uh, interesting. Gentlemen's time has expired. Now recognize the gentleman from Oklahoma, Mr. Hearn, for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'm thankful today in the House Budget Committee that we're actually talking about taxpayer debt for the first time. I've been here a little over one year, and uh, it's the first time we've talked about it. It's, it's encouraging. But I'm also uh, discouraged to hear that, you know, that we don't think that uh, deficits and debts matter when we talk about the modern monetary theory and that uh, countries that can print their own money can just take care of their issues, and we don't really have a responsibility. Uh, last week, we had the opportunity to talk to the Fed Chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, sitting in your seat, and I asked him specifically about the modern monetary theory. And his, uh, he stated, quote, the idea that countries that borrow in their own currency can't get into trouble is just wrong. And the idea that debt does not matter is also wrong, end quote. Additionally, we have more than 40 leading economists were asked whether they agree with the underlying tenets of modern monetary theory by the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. 100% of the respondents disagreed or strongly disagreed with the economic principle. I don't believe that members of Congress are naive enough to believe in MMT as a way of servicing our debt. I believe that this is just a way to justify their multi-trillion dollar wish list. So, so, so um, do, do the people in the district like him? Like, what does everybody, how does everybody feel about him? Uh, the more I talk to people, the more it's become clear that he just got voted in because he can put an R next to his name. Um, more often than not, people don't know his name. I'll say I'm running against Kevin Hearn, and they say, who? <laughs> Which is why I think that he's in a, a weaker position than he thinks he is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and are you running as a Democrat? Yes. So will people vote for Democrats in that district? Uh yes, in because it's uh this district is largely composed of Tulsa County and in the redistricting that happened because of the 2010 census, um the urban areas grew and the rural areas shrank. So our uh sort of blue undercurrent has gained a little sway. Um, Lovely. Yeah. More voters. 
I like. I like when it, it goes in your favor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, it's still gerrymandered to a, a crazy extent, but um, but there's only so much you can do with, with five districts in the state. So mm-hmm. those shapes haven't changed too drastically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and would he debate you? <laughs> um, I'm told no. <laughs> that his uh, strategy, as the strategy of of basically all five House Republicans, is to ignore the Democrat and give them no free press. So, yeah, I I was specifically told if you can get him to acknowledge your existence you're winning (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think you know that that it's true for um uh, the corporate incumbent democrats as well so it it seems to be kind of the same routine no matter where you go and and is are is it a crowded field in the in the the Democratic primary? Uh, no, at the moment it's just me and one other uh, man named Adam Martin, who's um, doing pretty well. I don't really have a a bad word to say about him. Oh, lovely! What are what are his are his he centrist? Is he progressive? Uh, yes, he, he's fairly he like centrist. You? Oh, so we don't like. Okay, him. I have a I have a bad word to say about him. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like him at all. Yeah, he's. Um, uh, doesn't have much to say on policy issues. Uh, anything would be an improvement over Kevin Hearn, but I do think I'm I would do a better job as a legislator. <laughs> do do most people in your district vote or no? Uh, no, the voter turnout is um, hovering around. I think it's forty five percent. Oh, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of voters that you can activate who don't vote. That's that's my thought. Um, exactly is that people think that they they don't vote because they're happy with with the government as it is, and I think that there's a significant number of people who don't vote because in especially in Oklahoma they see conservative Democrats as just Republican light, and there's no point in voting because nobody represents that what they actually want. And when you poll progressive policies as detached from people and just ideas on how to treat people, uh, they usually poll in the 60 to 80 percent range. So I think if you can run on a progressive platform and really hammer home how much good you can do for people, that you can have a lot more success. Absolutely. I'm so glad you're running. Well, thank you. Because it's, it, you know, it, it, it grows empowerment and then more people are activated and more people are activated. Mm-hmm. And then, then the lights all of a sudden turn on and, you know, you have another person in Congress that will actually vote for a progressive policy. Yes, that's that's the ultimate goal is is to is not win because I picked blue over red and I want my team to win. I want these policies in place because they will actually do real good for real people. Now that you understand the pay for it game, mm-hmm. you know, and how uh, saying tax the rich, tax the rich kind of like destroys your bill in Congress um, and getting the truth out. Would you, would you be open to having um, uh, 
economists on um, to speak about how funding works once you get elected um, nationally? Oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so it's I'm I'm a an educator by trade, right? My my background is as a teacher of English and art, so I believe from the core of myself that education is the equalizer. And if you can spread the word of of real, um, you know, evidence based things that make the world better and educate people, then they will fight for those things. Because I I don't believe that the majority of people are necessarily selfish, right? I believe some are. Some are selfish and greedy. Uh, that's how we end up with billionaires. But I think the majority of your uh, John and Jane Doe's are caring, kind people who really want the best for their neighbor. Uh, and they can be tricked into thinking that they can blame all their problems on this immigrant or you know that minority or this person they've never met. But if you talk to them about the people they know – then they can say, even if they're, you know, the most vitriolic racist you've ever met, they'd be like, yeah, they're all bad, except for this one guy that I personally know. You know, their their inner circle, they want what's best for the people they know. And when you can educate people that everybody has that circle and we can do best for you and the people you know, then people get more behind these kind of progressive ideals. And we may have a, a branding issue, may have to call it something other than progressive because that word's getting poisoned too. But I, I think that these are the right ideas. I, I like the, I, the, the wording um, uh, policy driven. Yeah. <laughs> I think that works out. <laughs> policy driven candidate. I'm a policy driven candidate. <laughs> Um, I like that wording because then they're like, well, what policies? And then you start talking about it and you open up the, the gateway. Yeah. And then they know that you're a person who actually wants to do something, not power for power's sake, but you want to get in office because you want to do good. Absolutely. I know that, um, Jeff, you had some questions. Would you like to ask? Well, I want to, I want to, uh, Go take take Ramona's question a, a step farther. I, you've answered kind of general education. I, I'm going to ask it as a specific request, which um, you're going to have town halls. Mm -hmm. And in those town halls, you're going to be asked how you're going to pay for it. And you obviously have a, a decent grasp of the basics now. But, but it's really not your job to spend time on that. You mm -hmm. want to focus on policy. You want to focus on policy. And, and clearly, if if like the scientists say we can do a green new deal, then we then we can clearly do a green new deal. The money's not an issue. If uh, if uh, healthcare if healthcare workers say that we can do uh, Medicare for all or some healthcare program, then we can do it, and the money is no issue. But you're going to get the money questions, and so you have your town halls, and and I would like to ask you to seriously consider which you I'm of having separate town halls, of having how you're going to pay for it town halls, where oh. those economists come in and where those, where you can even have politician, like political scientists come in where they, where you can say in your town halls, your regular town halls, great question. 
I, you know, I, I to get the a detailed answer to your question, come to my how you're going to pay for a town hall next month. And you can have, you know, you could spend as much time as you want on that question. But today we're going to focus on policy. Uh, all right. I like that distinction. Um, yeah. So when when you're in office, when you're in any office, you do have a certain amount of the bully pulpit. You have the, the power to hold people's attention. And that's really when you have the opportunity to uh, bring in your experts. Now, a huge social problem with this is anti-intellectualism. You bring in an expert and this expert says these are the facts and then they're rejected because that person is an expert. And it's so infuriating and there's so much of that in Oklahoma, which is why not that to knock town halls uh, and gatherings and things, they're very important, but it's the one-on-one conversations, the ground level organizing that really creates the sea change. Okay. Yeah, because uh, when you have like Republicans, you have a lot, because I've engaged with them a lot, you have a lot of naysayers. Um, and those naysayers, no matter what you say, they they can't be convinced because they've already been pre-convinced to say nay. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it's more important that they be on the right team than change their mind. But but then I don't, I don't see the difference. Then it, 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 no town hall is going to convince these people because they've already made up their minds. So what's the so? But that so that doesn't change the fact of that you know those who are anti-intellectual will ignore intellectuals. But <laughs> exactly, they're going to ignore anyway. So what's the difference? So you can you can ha- still have it and focus on those who are not so closed-minded. True, and which is why I say not to knock town halls because there is a certain amount of efficacy you can get from those type of uh, broadcasting things where you're, you're talking to a broader audience, Uh, even, you know, advertising commercials and radio spots that say these things can help to influence the, the mass opinion. But for these really difficult conversations, like have you rethought economics at its very core? It is, it's very important to make that personal connection, and which is why I don't say necessarily that I would have to personally talk to every voter, but I would personally talk to every volunteer, and then every volunteer would go and have those four, five, six conversations that are necessary to sway somebody. All right. I would, I'm just going to respond just briefly, and then I'll give it back to Ramona, which is just if you're in Congress, mm-hmm. you will have sway. You will have legitimacy to be able to say, number one, this guy knows what he's talking about. And this is what and he is, who's my policy is based on. So you need to listen to him. That's number one. Number two, there is nothing stopping you from getting someone who is more down to earth and learning, learning from those intellectuals and basically being the translator for these people. Mm -hmm. So well said. I thought so too. Thanks. <laughs> Ramona. Yeah, there, you know, the, the, it's important to um, educate your local base, you know, the people that are already on your side. And it's also important to, you know, educate people that 
have no idea what you're talking about and are just, they're like, what? what? Because usually I find that you have to kind of repeat something 5,000 times before people actually get it. Mm -hmm. There's been some research that says uh, to sway somebody of a political opinion, you have to have at least four conversations with them. And that's like like direct one-on-one, this is the thing we're talking about type conversations, not just – you know, dropping off a phrase and then hoping they look it up later, but like addressing it directly. Yeah. So it takes a lot of those conversations for people to really start understanding and paying attention. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm so excited about your candidacy uh, and that you're running and that there there is a progressive movement in Tulsa. I hope people donate to you and volunteer for you and you get to those, you know, door knocking and uh, phone banking and you can buy your literature. And it feels like a good time. It feels like people are really hungry for, for change. Absolutely. It's one of those moments that I think COVID revealed a lot of the systemic weaknesses, uh, laid them bare in a way that hasn't been laid bare in a generation. So there's a, a big, like you say, hunger for systemic change. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, John. So, I don't know why it's so hard for me. Swoboda. I couldn't do it. Thank you. Um, thank God for the edit button. Thank you for joining us, hey, John. I choose what's edited and what's not edited. <laughs> <laughs> you would never be that mean to me. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. This has been this has been really great. Thank you for joining us, John Swoboda. I can't do I, it. <laughs> <laughs> John, thank thanks. Thank you for being open-minded. Um, you, uh, I mean, you're, the economics part of you is like completely, just completely different from when we first spoke. Thank you for, you know, really diving in. Um, oh, absolutely, absolutely. It was my pleasure. I'm, a, I'm a successfully converted MMT evangelist. <laughs> Excellent. Glad to hear it. All right. Bye, John. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Music for this show is by Rectech. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape-A-Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus, then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all of the final processing in the Reaper digital audio workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online Headliner app.
Welcome to Activist MMT Candidate Interview Number 7, hosted by Ramona Masachi and co-hosted by me. Today, Ramona talks with John Swoboda, who's running to represent Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District. John decided to run after moving to the Tulsa area and discovering a lack of progressive policy agenda, but thankfully, also an active and supportive progressive community. As a whole, however, the area is highly conservative. A major challenge for John is communicating ideas he believes strongly without needlessly alienating those who strongly disagree. John's views have only been further validated by MMT, which he specifically and aggressively learned for this interview. He started by reading The Deficit Myth and then several academic papers, including Warren Mosler and Matt Forstatter's 2005 The Natural Rate of Interest is Zero, Stephanie Kelton's 1998 Hierarchy of Money, Abba Lerner's 1943 Functional Finance and the Federal Debt, and others, as you'll find, linked in the show notes. Ramona and I are quite proud to not only support these candidates, but demand that they be better. We are grateful to John for being so open-minded and enthusiastic. You can support John's candidacy by visiting SwobodaForCongress.com and SwobodaOK on Facebook and Twitter. You'll also find a link to donate to his campaign in the show notes. If you're a candidate and would like to be interviewed by Ramona, please contact her directly on Twitter at Ramona Masachi or me at ActivistMMT at gmail.com. If there's a candidate you would like to see interviewed by Ramona, please let us know and please recommend us to them. This candidate interview series is above and beyond Activist MMT's regular episodes. If you like what you hear and would like to support this interview series and this podcast, please consider becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash activist MMT. And now... On to our conversation with candidate for Oklahoma's 1st Congressional District, John Swoboda. Enjoy.